0: Appreciate that tonight from Robbie and the help that is to me as well. <clears throat> okay. Well, you could have kept it. <laughs> I have my own. Okay, even better. All right. Turn in your Bibles tonight to Romans 15. This is our second to last um, time in, on this topic, unless the Lord leads me otherwise. Uh, let me encourage you for, for next week. It's going it's to be a wrap-up, obviously, but if you have any questions or any insights that you would like um, to share with me or, or further questions that you have, let me know. Text me email um, message next Sunday night as we wrap up this whole topic, The Spirit-Guided Conscience. It is not true that you should just let your conscience be your guide, as we've said before. But the spirit needs to guide your conscience, and then it's a reliable guide. It's and it's a very important tool, obviously, that God has given us. And so we're going to be looking at Romans. We're now to chapter fifteen and finishing out. Paul finishes out this discussion in verses one through seven. And again, just a little bit of recap on this is we continue on, we found that there's, between these conscience issues, between weak consciences and strong consciences, there's many contentions, and um, there's, there can be striving and disagreement within a local church, and there's a better way than that, and that's through letting the Holy Spirit guide each of our consciences, and Paul says, until we're fully convinced, and each of us can be fully convinced, Um, through um, prayer and pursuing scripture about each conscience issue that we face. But you know, again, that takes time, right? Uh, It takes a while. So until that takes place, we need a mechanism to be able to get along in the local church with these different conscience issues and things. And Paul's giving us that here. How to get along in unity in the meantime as we're growing spiritually. It involves, of course, peace With each other as we progress in our spiritual walk, and especially responding with forbearance. That's been a key theme in this toward the weaker brethren. Paul has admonished the strong multiple times to uh, not let their blessed freedom that they can exercise, they have the freedom to do that, to not exercise it when they're among weaker brethren who they would cause to stumble. Then that would be sin for those with the stronger conscience. And they would also cause the weaker brother. They would at least tempt them to sin and cause much damage in their lives. And so as we close out here, Paul is going to close this teaching on conscience issues with one more admonishment, admonition, excuse me, for the strong, and then some basic principles for all believers, all of us, within the local church body. And he's going to end with a prayer, and we're going to see that Paul desires to see like-minded believers ministering together, and that brings glory to God. He wants to see unity, but for a purpose, he wants to see glory brought, glory given to God through our unity. Let's look at chapter 15, then Romans 15, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll pray and get into this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Father, As Paul ends this, he reminds us that all that we do, all that you call us to do is for your honor and glory. That when we follow your principles, submit to your word, let your word um, saturate us. And as the benefits it provides us, it also allows us to walk closely with you to better reflect the example of Christ and to bring glory to you. And that ought to be our ultimate goal. Father, help us to put aside the disputes and the petty arguments that these conscience issues, as important as they are, can bring for unity's sake within the local church body and to bring you glory. And we desire that. Help us to do better at that and strive as a church family to reflect the principles that Paul points out here. And if we're able to do that, it's only through the power of Christ. And so we ask for that. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So Paul is pointing out here at the end, our need to live in harmony together as believers. And we're going to see at the end, to worship together in harmony. And part of this is pointing out our spiritual obligation is to build others up. There's a basic principle involved with this. And that is that we're not living to please ourselves as wonderful as those conscience freedoms are that God gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us on individual issues, ultimately our goal should not be to please ourselves, but to build others up, to edify them. And so with that understanding, Paul has one more admonition to the strong. In verse 1, you see that. We who are strong have an obligation, a responsibility, to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. He addresses the strong one more time, but you notice something in this? He includes himself in this category directly. Paul says, I'm one of you Uh, in these particular issues, and and specifically the issue about eating and drinking, and we won't get into that um, any more tonight, but um, I'd encourage you, if you're (coughs) If you haven't heard all of these, you'll be able to catch them on Sermon Audio to listen through the whole way, and it'll make more sense to you. But Paul is saying that he's with the strong, that he's one of the strong, and specifically this issue about um, unclean meat or unclean wine drinking um, and stumbling, he's with the strong. And yet, he says, basically, we've heard this motto many times, but with strength comes responsibility. If we are the strong, if we are we're working toward being fully convinced, and on a particular issue, we're fully convinced the spirit has led us. We've prayed, we've sought God's word, and we have the freedom to pursue that specific conscience issue. We still have a responsibility, and that is to bear with the failings of the weak, the ESV, the ESV puts it. Basically, this is in the Greek, it talks about helping to bear up the burden of the weak. And let's, um, and and Paul makes it clear that's our responsibility or the responsibility of the strong um, to bear up with that burden. And folks, let's be clear this isn't then just talking about putting up with somebody. Bearing with someone, bearing with their failings of the week, doesn't mean that we just try to uh, just get through and put up the best we can. This is a much more specific word. And it talks about um, it talks about helping to bear the burdens of the weak and almost and carrying them as our own that is we see the weak in these conscious struggles um, and again, remember, we're all on different issues we we're, we're not all of us are strong all the time. some of us are weak on some issues, some of us are strong on some issues. so if we're strong on an issue, we see someone that is weak and Let's be clear here. He gives a specific description in this now of the failings of the weak. And he describes them. He says the failings, actually, what that means is that if someone is lacking strength, that they don't have the strength to carry a burden. Really, in our modern vernacular, we refer to people like this as maybe sometimes a negative sense. I don't mean that here, but as the weaklings. They're too weak to be able to handle the burden um, as they've worked through in the the burden of conscience. And so certainly the strong doesn't come along and say, hey, just get over it. No, but we in love say, okay, I won't carry out my freedom. I won't pursue that when I am with this person on an individual basis here, remember person to person, uh, but I will I will um, relegate my freedom and put myself under their burden help them carry it. Helping the weak. Remember, we're not warring against the weak in Christianity. But the weak here are described as the weaker ones that don't have strength. And the strong then must bear up and be considerate of that and not um, be adamant for their own position it reminded me of when i was young um you know when you're a young man weightlifting is always on your mind a lot of times and it's really cool and you know if you learn how to weightlift properly there are certain specific ways to to uh, do it in a way that doesn't hurt yourself and some young men follow that some men just young men just say yeah whatever (laughs) i just want to look strong and buff and and so and it is pretty cool. You know, after you work out a couple of times and you, you kind of flex that arm and it gets a little bigger, you know. I, I think with me a couple of times, that was more like Bugs Bunny where it weights, <laughs> Anyway, that's that's getting off point here. But when I was in college, um, there was a guy, there was a number of uh, myself and my friends that were interested in learning more about how to use the weights and getting more strength buildup. up. And there was a guy that worked at in the weight room there at the college at Pensacola, that knew all about how to work them and, and um, use them safely. And um, he knew what best um, exercises and weights to use to gain strength and to gain uh, muscle weight and all of these things. And one of the things that he would do is he was he would carefully walk us through and say, you want to do this or you want to be careful not to do this. And then he would show us And then he would what's called spotting, right? And that is, as we would lift these weights, he'd be careful to make sure we had the right and and he'd measure and he'd put some more on and more on. And then when he would get to the point where we couldn't lift it up and we were having trouble, then he was right there to spot us and help us because he obviously had much more strength having done this for a while than we did. And he would be able to lift that up all by himself. And it was like, oh, thank you. I was getting a little nervous on that one as I'm, like, you know, coming down closer to my neck. And he would help us, the weak, and he was the strong spotting us and helping us with that burden. Well, I think that is kind of the picture here of the strong that Paul's talking about, is ready at any moment, helping the weak to bear that burden so they don't get crushed by it. And Paul is saying. We need to do that. It's our obligation. We know this, don't we? That this Christian life isn't all about pleasing ourselves. But Paul says here in verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And he's not saying here, uh, do whatever it takes to please other people. He's not saying uh, be a people pleaser. Uh, Obviously, There are people that get caught up in that, and even in ministry, and their whole goal in life is just to try to please everybody else and make everybody else like them and happy with them. That's not what Paul's saying here, because he qualifies it, right? Please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, this is, as we get into verse 2, this is now a more general principle for both sides, And this is uh, not controversial, but different scholars, as as I've read, and even men that I respect come down a little bit differently on this, and I'll explain exactly why. Some folks say that verse 2 is still entirely referring to the strong, but I think this is another, throughout this passage, Paul gives general principles that relate to both sides, and I think in verse 2, he starts with another one of these general principles. Why? Because as, let, let's look at it this way. Is Paul merely saying only the strong have to do good for others and edify others rather than please themselves? The weak, they don't have to worry about that. Well, no. It's a, it's a responsibility for all believers to edify each other, to help build each other up. This isn't an admonition that leaves out half the congregation or half of, of the believers or whatever percentage. This is a general principle. Paul is saying there should be a greater focus on edifying and building each other up in the body of Christ rather than desiring to exercise our conscience freedoms. Other people should be more important to us than following after our freedoms and again, uh, or or even making issues of, of conscience sensitivities that we have. Our greater focus should be, I want to help others grow in Christ and want to see them the best that I can through the power of Christ grow in their relationship. I want to be edifying. I want to see others in my church grow, for, grow in Christ and be built up. Neighbors here doesn't refer to just anyone this isn't um, a general um, commandment to love thy neighbor but neighbors are specifically here fellow believers in the church so Paul is saying let each of us please fellow members our, our fellow church members our fellow individuals members of the body of Christ for his good to build him up there is the qualification not just to do whatever that person wants you to do but to help them in things that will help them to grow spiritually. So you're not then just a people-pleaser trying to please everybody, because we all know if you've ever tried that, it doesn't work, right? But we should be more concerned with doing the best for each other so that each other can grow, rather than follow after my own interests or follow after what pleased me or follow after even the freedom that God has given me in my conscience other people's spiritual growth and what God's doing in their lives are more important. Reminds me of another illustration. When I was little, um, our, our mom, our parents, when I was growing up, were very careful about what we ate. Um, and they had gone to some seminars about the evils of eating sugar and different things. So they were very cautious and, and careful that we had a healthy diet. And I remember one day um, after school coming home and mom had made some brownies and this is one of those um, times where she went a little out of the bounds of what they normally had for us. And we had these brownies and they looked good. And we're like, mom, can we have some milk or, you know, can we have a soda? No way, no soda, but you can have this nice glass of water. Oh, oh okay. So we took our brownies and our water and we went outside, my brother Scott and I, and we went to our, um, our swing set. And there were some neighbor kids that lived next door swinging on our swing set. It was ours. They'd actually crossed over the fence and were swinging on our swing set. And, you know, they didn't have brownies and water. They had soda pop and candy bars. And I remember the one in particular was a Snickers and another one was a Milky Way. And do you know that they had the gall in the midst of swinging in our swing set with their soda pop and their candy bars to then rub it in? (laughs) Oh, You guys have brownies. We have this. And we were a little bit upset by that. So we came running back into mom and said, mom, the neighbor kids are on the swing set and they have soda and candy bars. And all we have is water and these brownies. (laughs) These, well, my mom didn't really um, have too much sympathy for us. She said, well, just be thankful for what you get. And that was the right, that was the right attitude. And we went out later and they were gone. But the point, the point of bringing this up at all was here was neighbors coming over and rubbing in what they had and rubbing it in that we couldn't enjoy what they were enjoying. And it was totally, even as a small child, I understood that's wrong. That's not right. Well, children understand sometimes better than adults do. Because folks, if we have freedoms and things that God has given to us, and yet we're rubbing them in to those that God has not given them to, it's not edifying, it's not loving, it's not being a good neighbor to each other. And so Paul now inserts to remind us one of his favorite principles, and that is that we should reflect the example of Jesus Christ. Look at verse three, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And Jesus um, did not please himself, as Paul is pointing out here, but he fulfilled to the greatest degree what David wrote in Psalm 69. Just turn there briefly. Keep your finger in Romans 15. Turn to Psalm 69. And we'll see this quotation, verses 7 through 13. And here is David's context. He's saying, because I have committed myself faithfully to you, Yahweh, to you, God of Israel, I have had to suffer many things. I have had to bear many things. And yet, um, I was willing to do so, because I know that you will hear my prayer. And I know that you will work all things out and that you will provide me salvation. Look at verse seven, for it is for your sake. David is saying this to God that I have borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers an alien to my mother's sons for zeal for your house has consumed me. Does that sound familiar? That was a fulfillment um, that was made apparent earlier on in the gospels when Jesus purged the temple. And it said, zeal for my house has consumed me. So as we can see, there's multiple examples of fulfillment in David's Psalms here. That's just one. And now here's what um, John quotes um, in our passage, or Paul quotes, excuse me, in our passage. He says, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. that is what Paul quoted in verse 3. But let's continue to read Psalm 69 here. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. And now, even as we saw this morning, it's kind of neat when we have three different series that kind of converge all at once here. But this is what, and I don't plan that. This is this is God's work in this. But we have um, David and writing this psalm. And of course, we've been talking about the life of David on Wednesday nights. He's talking about these reproaches that he's bearing for the cause of his God. And Paul uses this to point to the greatest reproach that one ever bared for anyone. And that is Jesus' death on the cross. He's referring to Jesus, the ultimate reproach that anyone ever had to bear. And Jesus did not please himself, but was willing to go and offer himself up on a cross. And of course, that's what we've been talking about in John. So all of these things have come together here. And so literally he's pointing out, If any of you still doubt me, and you want to continue this argument about having your spiritual freedom, regardless of the weaker brethren around you, um, Jesus was willing to give up everything, give up his own life for others. He was willing to go through real hardships. I think Paul's saying here, is you're having to suspend your freedom, your conscience freedom um, in a particular venue uh, like... uh, fellowshipping with another believer, is it really a burden? Jesus really did have a reproach and a burden that he had to bear. Giving up your freedom while you're around that person, um, that's really not nearly as big a deal as what Jesus was willing to do. And the point is, Jesus did not please himself. And we ought to reflect that example in our lives. His death on the cross made it clear. That he didn't please himself. But what did he say? Remember we saw this in John? Not my will, Father, but thine be done. And that's what our attitude ought to be when it comes to exercising our conscience freedoms around others that are struggling or weak. Now it's interesting. Interesting. Paul, in the midst of this argument, inserts verse four, another general statement, and he broadens the topic here of edification and spiritual encouragement. And he just mentioned our greater focus should be to build each other up. That ought to be um, a primary focus in our church. And that's why we've had this focus on discipleship in our church ministry here in evangelism. But we have made it clear, I have made it clear that one of my burdens, even as Paul has said here, is that we focus on helping each other grow in Christ. And now Paul is going to make clear, as almost like a side note, but it's important. Don't think that's any less important, that scripture is the key to spiritual growth. Look at verse 4. For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He says, your focus needs to be helping each other in spiritual growth. And by the way, that comes through knowing scripture well. So I think he's pointing to this saying, make sure as you're helping build each other up, that scripture is an important part of that, is the main part of that, right? That all of instruction and what we need for this edification and growing in our faith, growing in our progressive sanctification comes from the scriptures. That gives us our hope. Well, let's go a little more specifically here. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. You notice Paul is referring to the Old Testament scriptures here. That's right. He's he's including that in this. So for those that try to somehow um, minimize or um, denigrate the Old Testament, I remember talking to a, a group of guys one time, they were talking about a particular issue, and somebody brought up a verse out of the Old Testament, another responded, oh, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. And I almost, I, it wasn't my argument, so I didn't insert myself, but I really wanted to. And I said, oh, so the Old Testament really doesn't have any meaning for you then? It doesn't have any weight. No, no, Paul makes it clear. We need the complete counsel of God in our lives to work spiritual change in us. And the Old Testament as well is included in that. It gives us endurance. It provides encouragement. It reminds us of our hope. We've talked about that word endurance. Remember, even in our study in the essential virtues with uh, Dr. Berg, we spent a long time talking about endurance, Um, steadfastness faithfulness that lasts throughout our life how how do people endure in their christian life well they know god's word well they've read it they understand it they've studied all of the counsel of god and that also provides encouragement and so paul as he even um, quotes from the psalms he's saying don't neglect your study of god's word and especially when it comes to these conscience issues Um, as we pray, and um, as we seek God's guidance on these specific issues in our life, scripture ought to play a part in this. It ought to have a huge part in this. So application here before we go further. Folks, we understand that spiritual edification and growth of others needs to be one of our highest priorities. And Paul obviously makes it clear here, the Old Testament is still relevant to us today. Don't, don't, Avoid it. Don't relegate it to something that you'll get to eventually, but I'd rather read the New Testament. Read it all in our walk with God and get his complete counsel. So our spiritual obligation is to build others up, even in the midst of these conscience issues. But ultimately, our spiritual goal as we finish up verses 5 through 7 is to glorify God with others. That all of us are able to glorify God together and worship him. And here we see in verses 5 through 6, the harmony of believers in worship glorifies God. Here's another, uh, well, this isn't a general principle, but Paul adds now a prayer for both sides. He's praying for both sides, that they would be in harmony, that they would be like-minded and thus be able to worship God together. Look at verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance, see, he's praying this for the people, for the church, and encouragement. He's just mentioned that scripture provides endurance and encouragement. And he says, and remember that scriptures come from God. God supplies endurance and encouragement. May the God of this grant you to live in such harmony, the ESV says, with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds them that God is the source of endurance and encouragement, both which we need to live, to minister, to serve together in unity in this church. Endurance in our relationships with others, patience for the weak, patience for the strong, who may be a little too arrogant and boastful, that need further we, we need to be able to endure. I, I know people that have considered and some that have left the church just because they didn't like how another person responded to them and they were hurt. And there was injury on the other side. There should have been more forgiveness. There should have been a um, willingness to work together, but it didn't happen. And Some people even leave the church because they don't have the endurance to get past the frustrations of other people. But Paul says, no, God will provide you endurance to be able to live together in unity and encouragement to continue to worship and serve together. How does this work? Our commitment to scripture provides that endurance and encouragement that he talked about in verse four. And that enables us to be in harmony. Now, the King James Version uses the word like-minded. The Nazby says of one mind. And that Greek word really does have the idea of being of one mind of thinking on the same lines well doesn't that seem to contradict what paul has been saying the whole time about conscience issues here he's saying you all need to be like minded but he's just pointed out multiple when we this has been the point of our series in some regard that we all come down a little differently on these conscience issues Well, this points to the fact that he's saying there's something greater that we need to be like-minded about beyond conscience issues. Remember, we talked about those things. We ought to be like-minded about the gospel issues. There shouldn't be any um, discord when it comes to the truths of the gospel. And that would be a part of this as well. We ought to be like-minded in issues of morality, in what pleases God and what doesn't please God. And even in our theological positions of worship and other things, we need to be like-minded in harmony together of one mind in this. So he's not going back and saying somehow then that these individual conscience issues, that somehow we just all need to um, bend to each other and and be the same mind. Because we've already established the Holy Spirit will lead each of us differently in our conscience. So that's not going to happen. Paul's already made that clear. But there's a whole lot of bigger issues that we do need to be like-minded in. The gospel. What pleases God. And these things we certainly can come together as a church body and be in unity. And he says, he uses again the example of Christ Jesus. Jesus was willing to bear the reproach of others. So we ought to be willing to bear up with each other on these issues. Well, it really bugs me that they don't, that they have the freedom. And and I just don't think that they ought to have that freedom. Or it just really inhibits me that I can't do this particular activity. And again, we've gone through many, many examples of these. We don't have time to go back into those tonight. Um, But rather than be irritated with each other, be of one mind on the important things respect the differences of conscience and be together in unity worship serve together in unity Um, jesus was willing to bear the reproach of others he died for us we should be willing to bear the irritations of working with others and then in verse six He says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is so important, folks. Paul sums up the full purpose of our unity in these conscience matters. What is he saying here? The purpose of our unity to move past and not squabble over these conscience matters is so that we can in full unity worship God together. That may come as a surprise. In fact, as I was studying this uh, I probably would have initially said that unity is the ultimate goal of this instruction that Paul is giving us. It is a central theme. Unity is very important to Paul. Unity is very important to Jesus Christ, as we saw in his high priestly prayer before he was carried off. Uh, the betrayer and the group carried him off to, uh, to his ultimate death. That was important to him, too. But what is Paul saying here? A harmonious, like-minded worship of God is the goal that we are able to worship God together in unity as a church. He goes beyond unity, and he makes the issue about worship. The most important thing in even talking about the harmony and unity of the conscience is so that we can all worship in unity together. When we come together in the mornings and worship for our worship service. Are we busy thinking about so-and-so and something that you heard that they did, you know, the day before and working worked up about different conscience issues and, and bothered by different things? Or are you willing to follow what Paul says here and saying for the purpose of unity, let's put those, those non-essential issues aside and worship together? That's the goal of all of this is right worship. And that then goes into another um, topic that we've been on recently and God's kind of pulling all these together worship is like-minded worship of God is the goal and you know what I like about the ESV here all the other translations are helpful too it describes it in singing terms living in harmony with one another in one accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Paul is describing it here in the translation of the ESV, I think is helpful, as a song. Now, folks, I know that many times we have Singspiration Nights, and one of the things we look forward to is we say, give us your favorites, and we'll sing those songs, and everybody, you know, gives their favorite, or maybe you throw in one to try to um, get the music director off his mark or whatever, I don't know. But a lot of favorites, a lot of different songs are sung. But, folks, what is Paul saying here? This song of harmony and worship together ought to be one of our favorites. This ought to be the one that is important to us. Paul says it's important to me. And I am praying that you will sing this song, that you will worship together in one mind in harmony. That is beautiful music. And then, verse 7, he brings it all full circle, right back around to the first principle, to where he started. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. Back to the circle, back to the discussion of welcoming our brother in unity. No matter what each other's conscience sensitivities are within the local body of Christ, welcome each other. And what does that welcoming entail? Remember, it's not merely putting up with, all right, I'll do my best to get along somehow. But it's a warm welcome. Come, be with me. Um, I accept you. I want to worship with you together. Jesus gave us the pattern, right? He says, as Christ has welcomed you. The pattern of Jesus was not pleasing himself, but bearing up with others for the sake of others. Excuse me. And our acceptance of each other on these these conscience issues as we worship together, guess what folks, that brings glory to God. As we worship, as we welcome and accept each other in this category of issues, we bring glory to God. Our unity then is a form of worship to God. And Paul brings all this together and shows us. What really the importance and the, the important aspects and emphasis of this truly should be, so let me just sum up here just briefly on all of this as we finish up next week we'll kind of do an overview again and cover any questions or anything that you have on this, but individuals in the body of Christ each of us have particular sensitivities in their conscience and and each of us were either the weaker or stronger brother, depending on the issue. That humbles us, right? So nobody could say across the board, I'm the strong brother on everything, because I'm fully convinced that every single thing, well, that takes a lifetime. That's a process. Sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we're strong. What's the solution to that so that we don't squabble? Well, ultimately, it's to seek to be fully convinced in, our, in each of our personal convictions, how do we do that by submitting to the holy spirit his guidance as we study god's word again paul mentioned tonight that's key not what i want not just meditation and a feeling like yeah i think i want to do that but studying god's word and the holy spirit and also praying and the holy spirit will guide us to what our convictions should be but then we must be ready to join together in unity with others in our church who may not be led to that same conscience sensitivity. We're going to have different combinations of this. We have to be able to still welcome, accept each other. Well, that's a process that takes time, right? So what do we do? We're careful with each other not to create stumbling blocks or offenses, especially the strong. Paul has had a lot to say about the strong. He says, you be careful not to damage or crush these weaker believers but bear up help them in this be as they are when you're with them so that they don't get crushed don't please yourself so we must be determined then to put the spiritual good of others over our own personal freedoms right to that is what Paul is saying when he says to please others rather than ourselves and then folks finally so important, our ultimate goal what is our ultimate goal in this is not to spar and argue and dispute over each other 's conscience issues. Gospel issues are important. we have to be unified on that, and we have to be unified on morality issues, what pleases God, what God says is right and wrong, and even having studied out what god 's word says to be of like minded um, theology when it comes to many things in in our church, but when it comes to these constant sensitivity issues, the ultimate thing, don't argue, but rather seek to worship God in harmony together. Even with these differences, God can give us the power. Jesus Christ died so that we could do this, and we can when we ask for God's help. As a church family, we can move past these And we can be in harmony and be that song that Paul was talking about uh, that in his prayer that he prayed for us. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that this was clear. What is our ultimate goal in this? But to be able to worship, to glorify you together in one voice in unity. So I pray you would help us to do that. Help the strong to bear up with the weak. Help them not to be arrogant. Help each of us to desire to be fully convinced to pursue each issue of conscience and to be convinced of the direction that you would have us to go through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in the meantime, resolving to be humble and not lord our freedoms over each other, but to willing to please others so that they can grow in Christ. Lord, let the unity at Village Chapel Baptist Church be proclaimed in this community. Let us not be known for our different idiosyncrasies, sensitivities. Let us be known for harmony of one voice worshiping Christ together and of spiritual growth and of discipleship and care and concern for each other. Let us be known for those things in this community. We need your help for that. We pray that you would help us to be submitted to the Spirit, and he will do that work in us. And so we rejoice in that thought. All this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.